0: Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening and may God bless you abundantly. So last week we've been going through this sermon series in the book of Hebrews. and last week we looked at the truth that Jesus is superior than angels, right? And I know many of us we didn't come to church questioning whether or not Jesus was superior to angels. Many of us didn't question the idea that is Jesus really more powerful than angels, but the truth is is that in 1st century AD the Jews they would have this would have been a huge question on their minds, is Jesus really powerful than angels more powerful than angels more as better than angels because angels were were seen in a high regard because they were mediators of the old covenant right they were the ones that that mediated the old testament we don't know exactly how god used that and how he operates within that but we do know that the angels god used angels to mediate this old covenant and so if the old covenant is going to be better, if the new covenant is going to be better than the old covenant, what the author has to show is that the old covenant mediators are inferior than the new covenant mediator, Jesus Christ. Jesus has to be proven better than the angels, or else the old covenant is superior than the new covenant, which means that we need to shut down the doors. If Jesus isn't better than angels, we need to shut down the doors, turn this place into a synagogue, and y'all start calling me rabbi. Which I've asked y'all to do in the past, but nobody does. (laughs) Call me Abba? Abba? I'll I'll reject that. Uh, But Jesus, what we saw in Hebrews chapter 1 is that the author did an amazing job by going through the Old Testament, showing that Jesus is truly superior to angels, that the Old Testament prophets, this isn't the author trying to make up something. He's showing that the Bible, the Hebrew Bible said that the Messiah to be coming was going to be greater than angels. He was gonna be the son of God. He was gonna be worshiped by angels. He was going to be the sustainer, the creator. He was going to be God. So the, the Old Testament prophets prophesied that the Messiah to come was going to be superior than angels. So that's what we saw last week. Now this morning, We are going to be looking at chapter 2 of Hebrews. Now, what's happening in chapter 2 of Hebrews, in chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, the author goes back to this idea, this wrestle with angels and Jesus. But right here in the middle, 1 through 4, this little section, he takes a break. And he actually, this section is an invitation, it's a call and what the author is trying to show us is that it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus and what you think about Jesus if you do nothing with it the author is showing that in what we have studied and what we have learned about Jesus it should it should lead to a response about Jesus. It should lead to a response in Christ. And so what we're going to see this morning is that the author is calling us through the midst of doctrine and theology. He's calling us to a response in this. In fact, that's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 13, it says, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few Words so he's saying the book of Hebrews is a book of exhortation. A lot of times, we get to the book of Hebrews and we think, well, this is a confusing book. It's a deep book. It's a theological book. It's a lot of themes. It's crazy. It's overcomplicated, and we miss the fact that the book was written. First of all, it was written to immature believers, but secondly, it was written as an exhortation, a call to something. What's an exhortation? It, it just means an urgent call to do something. So the book of Hebrews, the author is urgently calling the listeners to respond to Jesus, to have soul devotion to Jesus, to find satisfaction in the new covenant, is to hear the words of God and do something with them, is to apply them to our lives. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Guys, one of the greatest blessings of being a pastor, it's not the affirmations the words of affirmations i mean you guys do a great job with that but you could come after a sermon and tell me oh you did a great job pat me on the back and and like you know good job and that's awesome that's nice but that's not what keeps me going because for every word of affirmation i've gotten a word of cursing um i i've been cussed out chewed out called all names in the book and i and 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 so that doesn't motivate me and nor does the fact that you know i've said this before that we have a church that does bless me in the fact that we have people who are willing to sit under the word of God, that I'm not afraid to be able to say what the Bible says because I know that y'all want the Bible. And then if I said something other than what the Bible says, y'all would be upset with me. And so I love that and that blesses me, but that's not what keeps me going. The greatest blessing in my life, in my position, is to get the chance to watch the word of God be applied to your lives and watch your lives change. Like, that really is. It's the greatest. In fact, uh, you know, Savannah and I, we've had many opportunities, many moments in our ministry in the past four years of this church where we have looked at each other and literally said, do you want to keep going? Like, really, do you want to keep going? Because this is, this is tough. Like, we've gone through some pain, heartache. I've made a lot of stupid decisions. I know it's hard to believe. A lot of dumb decisions. Made a lot of people mad. Hurt a lot of people. A lot of people have hurt me. And in that season, all these seasons, we're always, we look at each other and say, man, I could go back and be a waiter, babe. Like, I could do something else. And every time, without fail, what God does is he, he brings one of y'all up in my mind. Without fail. One of you who I've watched the gospel go from infancy to you changing your life, adapting your life, sins in your life being put to death. And God. And in fact, that Savannah knows me so well now that whenever I get weird and get on this like moody, like just depressed, like this sucks kind of mood, she knows how to talk me off the ledge. Because I'll get into this weird mode and she'll just say, babe, but think about this person. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that'll keep me going for another week. We'll go over that. And she knows how to talk because that's the greatest blessing of this position. But likewise... The biggest the heartache, the biggest heartache is to watch, and this is what keeps Savannah and I praying. We pray constantly for this church, but is to watch some people hear the word of God over and over and over again, and their lives never change. They're never taking the word of God and applying it to their lives. They're still walking in the same sin. They're still loving the world. They're still wanting the world over the word of God. They're not changing. They're stagnant, and it breaks my heart. Or I've watched people coming to church on fire for Jesus, and then yet over time, they've allowed other things, whether it's hobbies or sins or just the everyday cares of this world, to come into their lives, and they weed Jesus out, and their affections for Jesus get weaker and weaker and weaker and I'm watching them where you started off strong and then you're just getting weaker and weaker in your affections for Jesus and it's heartbreaking and that's what the author of Hebrews is actually this is the call of author of Hebrews is to warn us against this idea of being stagnant or drifting so I'm going to go ahead and tell you my prayer for us this morning first of all my prayer is for those who are doing well with their walks with Jesus right now that this becomes a, a means of encouragement. This encourages you to remain steadfast and to continue to walk in faith and boldness and run the race. But then for some of you who are have lost affections over time because you've allowed life to get in the way, I pray this becomes a shock to your system, that this actually shocks your system out of this stagnation, out of this complacency. But then others, this, this whole idea of affections for Jesus, love for Jesus, this is all foreign to you. That's, that's weird. I, I never loved Jesus. I never had affections for Jesus. I was never walking like that with it. That can never be described. And some of y'all, it's because you've never believed, and that's okay. You, say, you would say, I'm not a believer, and so that's why. But then for some of us, we have actually been under the umbrella of Christianity or under the umbrella of church. But we have never had a moment where we could describe our relationship as affections, as love, as committed. And I pray that this sermon is not an an, an encouragement. I pray this sermon is not a shock. I pray this sermon becomes a warning to you. Because the Bible is very clear about this. And I pray this becomes a warning to show us that we can only find life and hope in Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? With that, let's jump in. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken to uh, by the Lord and was confirmed to us by the holy by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles the, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so we got to remember, the author is speaking to this group of Jewish believers. Some are Jew, Jewish believers, some are uh, kind of skeptics trying to figure this out, but they this church was having pressure from the outside. They were committed to Jesus, but the, the pressure from the outside was saying, you, don't need, you need to fall back in line. You need to put Jesus down, lower Jesus. He's not the son of God. You can have him as a prophet. You could have him as a good man. You could even have him as an angel, okay? Keep Jesus as an angel, but he's not the son of God. He did not die for your sins. Get back in line. Come back to Judaism. Come back to the temple. Get rid of this Jesus, Messiah, New Testament, New Covenant concept. We need to lower Jesus to be on par with the angels. And so the author of Hebrews is speaking to this group and saying, no, Jesus is superior. He is greater. And he's got to give us the first warning of the five warnings in the book of Hebrews so what the author is going to do is he's going to give us doctrine theology warning doctrine theology warning doctrine warning doctrine warning and each warning is actually going to get uh more strict and more direct as we go along in this book so what's the first warning therefore we must give the same the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away so the author begins with a very important word, therefore. Now, if you're studying the Bible, we know, I've said it a hundred times, if you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what is it therefore?" Another way of saying this is this is referring to everything he has just said. So because Jesus is the creator of the world, Because he is the sustainer of the world, because he is the Protocost, the Chief One, the begotten Son, because the Father calls him Son, He is, and He is Father, because He is worshipped by angels, because He sustains the world, because He places His enemies under His footstool, because He is eternal, unchanging, because He is is, or the anointed one. He sits on the He is the everlasting life. He is God's final word to this world. Because of all of that, remember, remember last week, chapter one, or two weeks ago chapter 1 verse 1 it says that God spoke to us in these last days by his son what does it mean in these last days it means that there's no chapter 3 listen to this chapter 1 of God's progressive revelation was the old testament was the old covenant God spoke to man God revealed his covenant chapter 2 is God's chapter 2 is God's progressive revelation of the new covenant speaking through his son and that is why it's the final days, because there is no chapter 3 of God's progressive revelation. It is sealed with Jesus, which means that God is not going to come to Muhammad and give him the Quran and write a new chapter. God's not going to come to Joseph Smith with an angel and say, dig up these scrolls and come up with the Book of Mormon. God's done with his progressive revelation. this doesn't mean God doesn't speak to us. God speaks to us. God does miracles. God does signs. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. But he communicates us. He communicates to us. It flows through Jesus. It points to Jesus. And it's measured and proven by the words of Jesus. Does that make sense? That when God speaks to us, we have to go to the word of God. And is it measured? it's measured by the word of God. If it's, if it's out of line with the word of God, then it is not God speaking because God does not contradict himself. So God is, Jesus is God's final word to the world. So because of that, the author of Hebrews says, listen to him. Because he is the son of God, because he is, every, he is he's deity, because he's worship, because he's God's final word, the proper response is to listen to him. This word, this phrase, listen to his words, listen to the words that we were taught, it means literally cling to or anchor to. They like anchor to the words that you've heard. What are the words that they've heard? They heard the, the gospel preached to the, uh, through the apostles, right? Paul, Peter, James, the the, the the Jews, the Hebrews probably heard the gospel through Peter, through John, through Apollos. Uh, not Apollos. Apollos was a Gentile preacher. But through John and, and James, okay? They heard the message of the gospel preached to them. And he's saying, hold fast. Cling to the words. Cling to what Jesus says, lest you drift way. The idea of drifting is, it, it comes, it's the only time we see this phrase in the Bible, and it's like a boat without an anchor. A boat is just going to drift, right? It's not a propeller, it's not floating, it's not pushing, it's just drifting with the, with, the, with the water, with the waves. And so the idea is hold on, cling to, anchor to, lest you drift past the words that we've heard. A lot of people read this verse and they say, does that mean that we can drift past, that we could actually drift away from salvation? Can we lose our salvation? The the Bible says we can drift away from our salvation. I don't believe that that's true because the Bible is very clear that those who are in Christ, it says nothing can snatch them out of the hands of God. The Bible also says that if you are in Christ, that you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, sealed until the day of redemption not not if like i I can't i can't take my out myself out of the sealing of the holy spirit any more than i put myself in the sealing of the holy spirit it was the holy spirit that sealed me and so i do not believe that the author is teaching that you are drifting out of salvation in fact what i believe the author is saying here is twofold first of all he's talking to unbelievers remember Remember what we talked about the first week, there is three groups that are, that are explained or described in the Bible, and this actually aligns perfectly with what Jesus says later on in Matthew we're going to talk about. But remember, there was many people who ha- heard the word of teachings of James and John and Peter, and they heard this gospel message, they contemplated this message, but they never fully received it. reminds me of what Jesus says in Luke when he says, let my words sink into you. There are many people who heard the words of God, and yet they didn't make them their own. They didn't cling to them. They never took root. One of our biggest um, mistakes that we, we, we believe is we believe that hell is filled with people who hated Jesus and rejected Jesus and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. That's not what Jesus teaches. Jesus says there will be many who come in my name who sat under the gospel who sat under the message? Who sat under the teaching, and maybe even liked it, and never received it, never made it their own, never clung to it, never anchored to it? It just became something that they sat under. They liked, and they went on their own way. It reminds me of what Jesus says in the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower. Yes. Jesus, uh, this is his Easter moment. Okay, like. I love this story because he's got such a big following at this point. Everybody's following Jesus. Everybody's trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Is he God? Is he the Messiah? Is he a lunatic? Is he crazy? Who is Jesus? And so everybody's excited to see Jesus, and he's got this opportunity to preach the message. But thousands of people, he could preach this message and tell everybody, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. Let me show you. He has this opportunity, but he gets up in front of everybody, and he says, okay, there was a farmer, right? And he has some seed, and he throws the seed, and some landed on the path, and the birds took it up. He said, some landed on the rock, sprung up really quick, and then because it couldn't take root, the sun scorched it out. He said, some fell in the thorns, and there was the thorns and the weeds and the thistles, and it tried to grow, but the thorns choked it out. He said, some fell in the good soil, and it produced 30 and 60 and 100-fold. And he looks at the crowd by telling this story, and he says, "If you get it, you get it." And he walks off. (laughs) If you have ears to hear, you heard it. And and, then the disciples are like, "What the heck was that?" And they run to Jesus, and they say, "Jesus, we know you. We know that this is not. There's more than to this than just seeds and birds and stuff. Okay, there's probably something. There's a there's a there's a deeper level. What is the meaning of this parable?" And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I'm going to give you this because your eyes have been opened to hear this, okay? Here it is. He says, the ones, the word of God is the seed. The farmer is me in this case, uh, you know, as Jesus. The farmer is me in this case, but the farmer is anybody who's throwing the word of God. The, the, the path, the seed, the word of God, the idea of the path is just people have been walking on it for, for years and years and years, trampling on it for horses, carriages. It's just packed full. It's like concrete if I throw a seed on concrete it ain't penetrating it's just going to sit there the idea here is the seed on the path is the word of God hitting people who are just absolutely rejecting the, the truth of gospel like there are some people you know and most of us know these people that it doesn't matter what you say it's like hitting a rock wall the word of God will just bounce off you it doesn't penetrate it doesn't sink in they hate it they don't want it they reject it it's that word of God not making it through the hardening of their heart I said, but then there's gonna be some that land on the rock, and there's this idea of topsoil. There's a little bit of soil on top of this rock, and the rock, the seed's gonna go in, and it's gonna shoot up really quick, right? It's gonna grow really quick. They received the word, they liked the word, they, 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 they understood it, they got excited, maybe they had an emotional experience about the word, but they never took root. And it says they go out into this world, and the persecutions of this world choke out or scorch out this seed. Scorch out this plant, this word in them. He so there's some that fall on the, the thorns. And you hear the word, you may like the word, you may, accept the, uh, you may uh, believe the word in the sense of, I believe it's true. But then you leave here and all the worries of the world and concerns of the world, you get the word of God, you get excited about the world of God, you go out of these walls and then there's your job. There's your hobbies, there's your family. There's everything else, and it just consumes your life and chokes out the word that was you once heard. Jesus is saying you could hear the word of God. You could like the word of God. You could sit under the word of God. But there will be many people, like here in Hebrews, I believe this is talking about the ones on the rocks, the ones who heard the word of God, but they never took root. They're the immature. They never made it their own. They never clung to the gospel. And so the persecution of everybody saying, come back to the Judaism, come back here. That persecution is choking us, threatening to choke out or scorch out this seed that was planted on them before it could take root. And guys, there's many people in this, this morning, whether you're here or you're listening, You hear the word of God and sit under the teachings of God. And you believe the words of God, you like the words of God, but you never have received the words of God. You're not willing to lay your life down for Jesus. You're not willing to alter your life for the words of God. You want Jesus. Of course, you want Jesus. He saves, He's our Savior. Who doesn't want a Savior? The problem is is that we want a Jesus to come alongside of our life with our hobbies, with our joys, with our sin and our brokenness and to make it a little better. I've seen this more times than I can count is that a lot of Christians are operating under the if clause. What's the if clause? I'll follow Jesus if he makes my marriage better. I'll follow Jesus if he makes this addiction go away easily and smoothly. I'll follow Jesus if it's comfortable. I'll follow Jesus if I can still spend my money and do the things I wanna do and travel and and, and enjoy this life without any disruptions in my comfort or my my life. I will follow Jesus if, I've seen so many people operating under this clause listen to me there's not one person in the bible not one follower of jesus that ever operated under the if clause the bible says the bible the followers of jesus will not operate i will follow jesus if the bible the followers of jesus always operate i will follow jesus even if Even if it's uncomfortable, even if I have to lay down what I want to do, the desires of my life, even if it means I've got to sacrifice things of this world, even if it means I've got to fight and beat my flesh into submission to get rid of this addiction, and it's painful and it's hard, I will lean in on Jesus as he helps me get through this. I will follow Jesus even if I lose everything. I will follow Jesus even if my life is taken. That is the gospel. That is a follower of Jesus. That's that's what we see in the book of John. When John, Jesus is teaching and he's got another follower, a group of followers, right? Everybody's wanting to hear what Jesus has to say and Jesus starts teaching this series of harsh truths and everybody leaves him. All these followers of Jesus walk away and like, this is too tough, I'm, I'm done. And then you have this image of like, Thousands of people following Jesus, and then all that's left is these 12 followers, these 12 disciples, these rough, just looking around. And Jesus looks at them. This is what Jesus says to them Do you also want to go away? Everybody else is left. Why are y'all still here? This is your opportunity. Go. Do you guys want to go? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He says, also, we have come to know and believe that you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Peter, Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus is like, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter's just, where else would I go? Yeah, I could go home. I could go back to fishing. I could go back to my family, and I'm I'm away from my family quite often. It would be less uncomfortable. I'm getting chased out of cities and towns, and yes, it would be easier. Yes, it would be more comfortable. Yes, it would give my life back and my hobbies back and the things I like. Yes, but those things would kill me. They don't offer me life. I don't find hope in those things because they don't bring hope. They don't offer hope. I found in you the hope of salvation. Why would I go anywhere else? Where else would I go? Where would I go and it's like this it's like you're on a sinking ship and Jesus comes up on this ship with a lifeboat and he says look my ship is not that big but do you want to jump on And he says but hey he's saying it's not big I can't bring your luggage I can't bring your game box Xbox whatever you guys play these days the game (laughs) cubes I don't know that's a thing anymore you can't bring your luxuries, you can't bring your junk, but you could jump on my lifeboat. You could jump on. Doesn't and it's a no-brainer choice here, isn't it? And yet many people look at this question and say, "I don't know." I don't know if Jesus is worth giving up my popularity. If I can't take my popularity and put all my energy and social media and the likes and look at focus on me, if I have to give up my hobbies, if I have to give up my time, if I have to give up my comforts, if I have to give up my sin, I don't know if it's worth jumping on the lifeboat. Jesus says, the, the author of Hebrews is saying, while you still have opportunity, don't drift past. This doctrine, this truth of the salvation of Jesus Christ. I've seen this so many times. Even in in, in my short time as a pastor and in my time in ministry, in general, I watch people come into the church. They like the thing we're doing. They love the people. We get involved. We have friends. We we make friends. They come out to eat. We invite them to my house. And then what happens is they come under the if clause, they enjoy this for a season but then they realize Jesus isn't doing what they thought he would do and they find other things that are more important they stop coming to church here and there it happens every time they start getting engaged in the stuff that they used to do and before you know it they just drift away maybe later on they'll go back to another church and hopefully that's the case but usually what it is is I've tried church I'm done let me try something else And they drift past this hope of salvation. So like I said, this is twofold. The first is, guys, let this be a warning to you if this is where you are. Let this be a warning to you. This is not a a, a, a nonchalant question that you have to ask and answer. This is your salvation, eternal salvation. So the Bible says cling to it. But I also believe it is for believers as well. Listen to me. I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but here's what I completely believe. The Bible t- teaches that we can actually lose our affections for Jesus. It's just like any relationship. Like if you stop giving attention to a relationship, your spouse, your kids, your friends, what happens? You drift away, right? Like if me and Savannah get so consumed with our kids and stuff, like only for a week, what happens is we start to drift away. It doesn't not a week is not going to really do a lot of damage, but it could do something. But it, when it happens over a period of month, two months, three months, you start doing major damage to your relationship. This is, we had our date uh, a couple of weeks ago. We had our first date in like a year because nobody's wanting to watch my kids. They're not that bad, guys. Um, but the seniors did, so thank you. But we went on a date and it was weird because we forgot, we, we stopped really investing. It's so easy to do. We stopped investing in each other and we were looking at each other without screaming kids, and we're like, what do we talk about? Like, do you like trees? Like, like, what, what, like, what do we say to each other? Usually I'm screaming at my wife over kids or something. Like, it's like, like screaming over, not at them, at her, okay? Uh, over kids and screaming and like, what do we do? And this is the problem with a lot of marriages is when they, kids are out of college or out of high school or graduate and leave the house, they look at each other and saying, who are you? Because they both have put their energy and attention on the kids and not on each other. But any relationship, if if you're not putting attention to it, you will drift away from it. This is why I love what the author says in chapter 12 of Hebrews. He says this, Therefore we also, since we we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love this because the author is saying, this is a race. Peter, Paul does this all often. He's like, you know, your life, your life with Jesus is like a race. You're running it. It's not a walk. He, Paul's like, I, I run to win. Like I'm, I'm I'm not running to come in fourth. Paul's like, I I run to win, and this is kind of how I'm. Like, I don't understand people who do things and like I'm just hope to finish. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm doing a triathlon. I just hope to finish. That's so weird. It's weird. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, I get it. You got to do it over and over again so you get really good at it. And then you get to get in. in the, but to me, I can't do something if I know I'm not even going to come close to winning. I just want to finish it. Like, that's just not my, my, my personality. It's that I do something to win. Paul says, I run this race in my life towards Christ to win the race, which means that I'm getting rid of all the, sna- the sins that ensnare me, all the things, even good things even things that hobbies that take over my life even things that i enjoy even sometimes putting all my love and attention and pressure on my family sometimes i need to lay things down so i could run this race to win he says i box as if to win you know i I, I, one of my favorite quotes i grew up playing sports and i grew up lifting weights my favorite quote is you there is no such thing as maintaining you are either getting better or you're getting weaker You're getting stronger, you're getting weaker. You cannot maintain. One of the biggest lies that we believe as Christians is that we cannot pursue Jesus and run the race with Jesus for a season of time and we will be okay in our affections for Jesus. That we can actually be doing really well and then take a break Walk away for a second, indulge in some fleshy things, or just get consumed by the world. Kids take over time. Marriage takes over time. Hobbies take over time. Like the summer, I'm just going to enjoy the summer, not go to church as much, not read the Bible as much, just take some time away from my, my attention with Jesus of running the race. And then when I jump back in it, I'm going to be right where I, st- I left. It's not true. You see, this drift happens so Easily, the Bible teaches that your natural resting state is not pursuing Jesus. It's not affections for Jesus. Your natural resting state is actually in your flesh for the world. Our natural resting state is for the world. And so all you have to do to drift apart from your affections for Jesus, all you have to do is nothing. All you gotta do is stop pursuing and you will drift. That's all you have to do. You just let up, and it happens so easily. It happens slowly, but easily. It's I didn't want to get up this morning and read the Bible. I was too tired. I didn't want to go to church this week. I was too tired. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to go, part, you know, I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to drive home and listen to worship. I would rather, you know, listen to, you know, a podcast or a news station. I would rather fill my mind up with the world. I just wanted, and in one decision after another decision after another decision, before you know it, you know, going back to this idea of weightlifting, um, I've said this before, but I struggle with eating. Um, many of y'all know that. But here's my dilemma. Here's my struggle. It's real. My birthday was yesterday, and yesterday marks the moment that I start to put on a lot of weight. Not by choice. It just happens, because of holiday season. Like today, I'm going to eat a cake, not a piece of cake. <laughs> and... I'm I'm actually going to try today. I was thinking, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it this year. But what I do is every year I start to put on a lot of weight and I get to about January and I realize it's beach season in five months. So I start to cut. I do really well. I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. Win or lose. I'm like, you know, if you ain't first, you last kind of guy. And all or nothing, lose all this weight, start feeling good, start seeing my abs again, start seeing my body again. And I'm like, ooh, I look good. And what happens in May? Right before beach season starts, I'm like, I'm, I've done great. I could eat a cake. Every time. And what happens, I eat the cake. The next morning, I look in the mirror. I look pretty good still. I don't see any change my pants still fit everything works I think I could let up and so what happens you start letting up on your diet you start letting up on your workouts and before you know it, a month later I'm it's a prime beach season we're getting ready to go on the beach and I'm looking in the mirror I'm like when did I get pregnant (laughs) like what happened where did this come from it seemed like overnight I just I gained it all back because that is our walk with Jesus and many of y'all know this because you have—you may have done amazing in a season with Jesus where you are pursuing him, you are chasing with him, you are feeling good about your walk with Jesus, you had disciplines, every morning you were praying, every morning you were reading scripture, every day you were listening to worship, you were listening to sermons on, on podcasts, you were starting to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit putting to death things in your life, you were starting to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit actually engaging in the world with people, seeing God do things through you to with other people you're starting to see all of that and then you're like man i could but then something happens and you let yeah, i don't want to get up this morning and so you sleep in i don't want to pray today i've been doing really good what's one day Then one what's what's one you know car ride i'm not listening to this or not listening to, and listening to junk on t on what's one day of just vegging out and watching trash tv what's this one little sin And decision after decision after decision, before you know it, you're looking back at your life and you're looking at yourself today and you're like, how the crap did I get here? What happened? And some of you all are nodding your heads because you know this is true and this may even be true of you today where you're thinking, I used to be so on fire for Jesus. I used to be so passionate about Jesus. I used to be disciplined with Jesus and I'm looking at my life today I'm just so complacent. I'm just nonchalant about him. My affections have drifted. When did this happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over time after time of saying that my family is more important than Jesus. My job is more important than Jesus. My sleep is more important than Jesus. My hobbies are more important than Jesus. My addictions, my sins, my pride are more important than Jesus. One decision after another decision after another decision. And before you know it, you're looking at your life and you're like, I don't know how I got here. The Bible says, cling to the words of Jesus, lest you drift. Stay steadfast in the words of the gospel of Jesus. Stay f- steadfast in your prayer, in your word, your scripture reading, in your time with Jesus. Stay, run the race as if to win. Because as soon as you let up, you all you have to do is stop pursuing and we will drift. Just do nothing. Let's kind of finish up here. We got a few more verses. I know I spent a lot of time on those two, but I I just want to summarize these next two. For the words spoken through angels prove steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Let's kind of stop there for a second. So it's talking about, once again, the angels and Jesus, again, comparing them. And he is saying that the Old Testament remains steadfast. It proves steadfast. This is mediated by the angels. The, what it means by steadfast is the Old Covenant, covenant operated under blessing and cursing. That if you obey me, you're blessed. If you disobey me, you're cursed. God tells that to Moses. And what we see in the Old Testament is that God fulfilled his part of the bargain. When Israel obeyed, they were blessed beyond belief. When they disobeyed, when they walked away from God, they were punished and disciplined. And so through their disobedience and through their um, transgressions, the covenant proved faithful and steadfast. And that's with the angels. How much more if we neglect through jesus such a great salvation the answer is we don't we do not escape if we neglect such a great salvation we don't escape if we neglect jesus christ as savior the bible says that you will receive a just reward for your transgressions and your your um, disobedience what does that mean it means that if without christ covering your sins Without Christ washing clean your sins, everything you have done, you will stand before your creator one day without a defense, and you will face the reward of every single disobedient act and transgression you've committed. And he says, how can we escape? God must punish the guilty. You know, there's there's two reasons why we would neglect such a great salvation. There's two reasons why we neglect anything. One, you don't believe it's great. You neglect something that you do not believe is great. Like, if you neglect your spouse, it's because you found something else that you think is greater. You probably wouldn't say that to anybody, but the truth is, if you're neglecting your spouse, something else is greater than your spouse. Doesn't mean your spouse is not great, but you found something greater. So, in order for us to not neglect something, the first thing has to be true. It has to be proven to be great. That's why the author spends a chapter on the greatness of Jesus. But the second thing it has to be proven to be is true. You've got to believe it's true. And so in order for something to be great, it has to be both great, or to to not be neglected, it has to be both great and true. If you don't believe it's true or it's too good to be true, you will neglect this truth. Which is why the author spends the next two verses saying that it has been affirmed by a credible witness. Which, sorry, how can we neglect this great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who have heard it. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Listen to this guy. I'm going to wrap up here. There's four witnesses here. God the Father, remember, it says that God spoke through his Son to us, the great salvation. So God speaks through Jesus. He speaks, so God the Father is the first affirmation, the first witness that says this testimony, this salvation is not only great, but it's true. The second witness is God the Father, God the Son, that he spoke, that God spoke through Jesus. Jesus is the second affirmation, the second testimony that says this gospel is both great and true now if that's not good enough for you he says there was also eyewitnesses the people who watched jesus walk with jesus talk to jesus saw the miracles saw the signs saw him raised from the dead in fact paul says if you don't believe me go talk to the 500 people who saw jesus raised from the dead it wasn't just the disciples paul says man it would be easy to just to squash this testimony if it was just 12 guys one of which died so 11 dudes It would be easy to squash this but the problem was there's 500 people who saw Jesus and so the testimony of eyewitnesses they affirm that this gospel is not only great but true and then finally the Holy Spirit he says that through signs and miracles and wonders and through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church according to his will listen to me the church the Holy Spirit operates through signs and wonders and miracles why what's the sole purpose Is it for magic tricks? Is it for your healing? Is it for your affirmation to make you feel better, to make you feel puffed up because you got some cool gift that you could do something? The point of the Holy Spirit's movement in the church body and in the signs and wonders in this world is to affirm that this message is both great and it's true. Every time Jesus spoke, the miracles were to affirm that this message was great and true. Every time the apostles moved, the miracles were to affirm this message is great and true. Every time the church moves in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's to affirm to the world. What does Jesus say? Let them be one. Let them be loved. Let them love one another in the Holy Spirit. Why? So the world will know that I am who I said I am. That this is great and true. So this gospel is adequately affirmed. And yet some some people still say, that's not enough for me. I need more affirmation. I need more affirmation. Like if God would have affirmed this to me through a bush. I need God to speak to a bush, right? Like he did with Moses. If God spoke to me through a bush, I would, be, I would believe this is true. If God just gave me a miracle, let me, let me see somebody, a, a miracle happen. Just give me something and I will believe this is true. I just need more affirmation. You see, the, uh, it, my problem with believing is I don't have enough proof, enough evidence, enough affirmation that this is true. That's a lie. If I believed, if I saw this, if I saw a miracle, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't, because the people who saw Jesus raise the people, somebody from the dead, didn't it? People who saw Jesus heal the paraplegic said, you're doing this by the power of Satan. The people who saw the, the Holy Spirit fall on the church at Pentecost said, you all are wasted. You're drunk, and Peter's like, dude, it's 3 o'clock. I'm not drunk. Your problem is not that you can't believe because you don't have enough affirmation. Your problem is you don't want to believe because you don't want to give up your life. You're holding on to other things, and the, the gospel is not proven to be great to you. Because I can sit here and give you enough affirmation. I can tell you, open up your Bible, and I can show you how the Bible is the word of God and the testimony. Read the history of it. Read. We talked about this 100 times. Guys, the Bible is legitimately the, the word of God, and it's proven to be. We can contemplate the the, the physics and science, and I could show loop and holes in all your belief systems. Of if you believe you, we came from from nothing, and now we are here. I we could talk about all the the loop, all the holes in your belief system, all the contradictions in your belief system, and how all points to a creator, and how all points to the creator of the Bible. We could talk about that, and you guys still have many of us have friends and family who have become believers, and they're telling you, this is true the testimony of firsthand witnesses of their lives being changed by the gospel and you still won't believe it and I could sit you down and I could talk about all that God has done in my life, the miracles that I've seen in my life, in my family's life. I could sit you down all day and we could talk about what God is doing in the world today through signs and wonders and miracles. And one by one you would say, that's a coincidence. I don't trust it. I don't trust the source I don't believe it. it does a magic trick you just brush it off the problem is not that we can't believe it's the problem is we don't want to believe in my prayer you know, as I was writing this this week I, I did this in tears because my prayer For those in this room and listening online who have heard this message over and over again the gospel message and Jesus has not been proven to be great or true to you you're not clung to the words of Jesus you're not willing to give up your pride your narcissist your narcissism your sins your addictions I'm not saying we become perfect and accept Jesus, but I'm saying we lay it all at the feet of Jesus, and knowing that He is going to transform us. Nobody's ever good before we become a Christian, but it's saying that my junk is not worthy of is not worth uh, is not worthy of the surpassing knowledge that I have in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you take this question seriously. Take this decisions. This is not whether or not you're going to go out to eat after church, or what kind of clo- you know where you're going to go, where you're going to move. This is not one of those questions. This is your eternal salvation, and He's worth it. Hold fast to the words of God. Hold fast to the greatness of this salvation. Don't drift past it. Why oh, just? I'll wait till I get older, and I you know when sin's not as enjoyable. Does sin ever not become enjoyable in the flesh? Don't drift past it. And then for other of I, I, I use um, other y'all, I, I pray this is a shock to your system. Some of y'all love Jesus, but over the years, over the, the months, you've allowed other things to cause a drift, and you're looking at your life, and there's a complacency and a comfort and i pray this shocks your system and you jump back into the race and that begins with today you set up disciplines in your life that clings to jesus's word clings to prayer clings to persevering and pushing towards your affections for jesus that you set up your life to say i don't care this slot at 5 30 in the morning some of you are like uh, it happen but at 5 30 in the morning to 6 to 7 i don't care how long This slot is Jesus's. And I will not give it up for anything. I don't care if my kids wake up, they're going to sit in their room and cry for another hour because I'm sitting with Jesus. It's not going to happen. That's my time with Jesus. And I pray that we become back in the race put aside things that are hindering us get rid of hobbies that are distracting us that are all consuming I'm not saying hobbies are bad I'm not saying watching TV is bad but when they become all-consuming when they start to change and affect our relationship with Jesus we need it that's why I love the COVID man it took me out of gym I was addicted there every day two hours a day couldn't miss it I would yell at my wife if I missed this uh, you know not I, I would get very irritable six months of purging haven't worked out you guys could tell but six months i don't miss it at all in fact i like my time with jesus a lot better now let it shock your system and finally encourage you some of y'all are doing awesome some of y'all i know you and you're walking with jesus and you have you have affections for jesus and you are pursuing him and running the race just remember how easy it is to drift keep pursuing keep pressing. So that's it. That's Hebrews four verses of Hebrews. It's going to be a long time through Hebrews, y'all, but um, let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, I pray for those in this room who have never known what it is to have affections for you. Who have never received the word and made it their own. That this all this time they've been operating under this if clause and seeking for something but not willing to lay down everything. Father, I pray right now that you work in their spirit and their heart. I pray that you show yourself to them as both great and true. I pray for their salvation. I pray that they do not drift past this message. Let them hold fast as the good soil to the words that have been planted, that have been thrown. Well, I pray for those in this room like so often me Where I look at my life and I'm like, God, I'm not where I used to be. The complacency, the stagnant, I'm stagnant. The affections. Father, I pray that we become people who jump back into this race and pursue you and chase after you and fall back in love, and have our affections strengthened in you thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the affirmation of such a great salvation. We thank you that we serve such a great God. We thank you that we are under such a great covenant. We thank you for your amazing grace. In your name we pray.